Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. trouble scott farrell is calling the shots from the sideline we're gonna make fun of people we're gonna hurt people's feelings it's farrell on the bench i believe in whipped cream with everything So I can't tell you what happened to Murray. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he went to bust off a yam or something because the guy left for like six minutes. Right, Moth? And they went down like almost 20 points. They were they were down two. The next thing you know, they're down 71-56. Now, he came back about a minute ago. He's back on the floor. But I have to say, uh, in my opinion, he's having a terrible game. And the bottom line is the only guy uh, producing in this game, like on a high level, is. Kawhi Leonard's got 26 and everything else is it just doesn't even matter. So no one's doing anything. We literally PG has four points. Now, remember, he had 32 in uh, in the last game in game three. This is game four. And he's got uh, four points in 16 minutes. So he's like not even playing. And then Kawhi's got 26. Morris, 11. Zubat's eight. Beverly, two. I told you he sucks. Green, one. Harrell seven, Lou Williams has eleven, and Shamit has three. So right now seventy three fifty eight. So when he left the floor, in my opinion, they lost the game because now Jurgic has seventeen, Murray has nine in the game. I don't know what he's waiting for—the second coming or something—because he has done nothing in this game. Like, does he not realize? Seriously, I have to ask this question: Does he not realize? that their season ends tonight when they go down 3-1 to the Clippers. I mean, they are done. If they lose this game, they are done. I don't care what happens in any, like there is no way that they're, they go down 3-1. There's no way they're winning three straight against the Clippers. You know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. And if you don't know it, get to know. It. I mean, they can't even beat them when they're straight up. I mean, they won a game. It was a miracle. And then they blew the last game. And now tonight they're getting their ass beat. Hey, everyone. It's Michelle Williams. And I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys. And I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down and too many people fall victim to the picture perfect image of the high life. So I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, 
I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you seeing this Braves uh, score tonight over the Marlins? I mean, this is uh, truly unbelievable. 29 to 9, and the game's not even over yet. 29 to 9. scored there. 11 runs in the second inning, two in the third, three in the fourth, six in the fifth, three in the sixth, four in the seventh. 29 runs on 23 hits, no errors. I mean, well, the over that game hit like the second inning. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Of course it did. They scored 11 runs in the second inning. It was two nothing uh, Marlins. And then I saw them get to two, two. And then I turned the channel and then I, I just looked now. I saw somebody in the church said they put up 25 through six. And then I was like 25 runs. And I went back and looked, it's 29 to nine. Like you got to be kidding me. How about, and then the other game was 19, nothing. Uh, Brewers over the Tigers. At least I got that one right. Unbelievable. The Dodgers lead the Diamondbacks four to three, bottom five. Even in worse zone. in that game, one Marlins pitcher, Yamamoto, 13 runs, 12 earned. Imagine what his ERA is going to be like for the next three years. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Uh, the Rangers, seven to three. Question over now, the- that's who he is. Jordan Yamamoto. Yamamoto, starting pitcher. His year rate right go. now is 11.42. So uh, Rangers 7-3 over the Angels in the seventh. Astros 2-0 over the A's in the seventh. Giants 4-0 over the Mariners in the fifth. The Yankees finally ended their five-game losing streak. They won 7-2 over the uh, Blue Jays. That Garcia kid won. The White Sox beat up the Pirates 8-1. Brewers 19-7 over the Tigers. Royals 3-0 over the Indians. Mets 7-6 over the Orioles. Padres 5-3 over the Rockies. And the Reds beat the Cubs 3-0. In that uh, Padres win, it was Davies 7-2 now. Rosenthal got the save. That's who they got at the deadline. And uh, Moreland they got at the deadline. He homered tonight. Myers a triple to deep uh, center. Moreland scored in the sixth. Uh, Cronworth singled in uh, to center. Myers scored in the sixth. Uh, Nola singled to center. Myers scored in the eighth. 5-3. Padres win it over the Rockies at Petco. They really are unbelievable. 28-17. and 17. Good evening in San Diego and SoCal on... Mighty or 1090. Also somehow Scott in that Marlins Braves game. Yeah. The Marlins have given up 29 runs and somehow not once have they used a position player yet. Usually you get those games, even when it's like 14, 15, all of a sudden you're throwing in you know center fielders for an inning. They have not used one position player yet. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's embarrassing. That game. 844, toll free, 843, 6879 uh, to get on. 
the bench. So the NBA, it's a 10-point game after three, 73-63, Clippers up 10. I mean, it was 15 a minute ago. They were up in this game big early, really early on. They were killing them. And then Denver fought all the way back, down eight at the half, got it to two, then got smoked. And uh, they were getting blown out. And now all of a sudden they're down 10. I got a hard time believing they're making up 10 in the fourth. I really do. Do you really think they're going to come back in this game when uh, Murray's not hitting and Jokic is barely hitting? I mean, it's not like it's not like he's doing anything spectacular. I, I don't, you know, it's not like I, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, Jokic is really going off in this game. He's got 19. He's 8 of 16 from the floor. It's not that bad. But uh, Murray's 9 is a problem. 4 of 10. He's just not doing anything. So, they have to have productivity from Murray and Jokic in order to win. There's no one else on the team that does anything. There's no one. They have nothing. I don't even want to hear it. There's not. I mean, let's just be real here for a second. I told you, Millsap, Grant, Harris, Plumley. I mean, Porter's got 15. I, I won't deny Porter's got talent, size, length. Uh, you know, super gifted, can do everything. I, I think he's got talent. So I'll give you three players, Jokic, Murray, and Porter. The rest of the team is ass. That's it. Boom. I mean, and if, if Murray's not hitting, they don't win. They cannot win if he's not hot. Because they don't matter unless they're all scoring, the three of them. And at the very least, Jokic and Murray. If those two go off in a game for, you know, let's say anything over 24 points, they win. That's it. And if they don't, they lose. Because they're just not that good. Haven't we seen this novel before? Have we not seen this movie where they just, they get into the playoffs deep, but they always lose, right? They always find a way to lose. Are they really any different than the Bucks? I mean, honestly, the Bucs are the number one seed, best record in the league, and they always lose. You can't even argue it. They always lose. What well, is Denver? Is that the Denver Nuggets are usually like three, four, maybe even five. Back-to-back years, the Bucs are the best team in the East, clear-cut favorites, should run through everybody, especially this year. You know, people were saying with all this bubble stuff and – but they're just way better without, you know, Kawhi there in Toronto to stop them, without some of these other guys. Like, it, it should be their season, no problem. And still, I mean, yes, Giannis got hurt, but they were getting their butts kicked before that. That series was done before Giannis got hurt. And at least not, the Denver, you never kind of expected. Like, oh, maybe they can compete. Those teams, the Bucks, were supposed to dominate the East and fell on their face both times. They got smoked with Giannis on the floor. And when he got injured, they actually played better and won that game without him. I know that's impossible to read that you could say they're better without him because they're not, but they were that night. They actually were losing the game. And when he got hurt and left the game, they played better because they, you know, they got desperate without him. They got desperate and they were like, okay, it's all or nothing right now. Sink or swim. We have to win this game. We have to go for it hard. And they did. And really what happened was Middleton took the game over by himself. You can do it with one guy going off. And that's what he did. He went off. That's why they won the game. But, you know, they don't win with him. They have Giannis. They don't win with him. 
They they have him, and I've said this before on Coast to Coast and on Verona Bench. They dominate every game that doesn't matter. And when they play good teams, which is exactly what the Heat are, the, the Heat play both ends. They shoot better than anybody, in my opinion, consistently, and they play defense. And I mean physical, stop you, shut down defense. I'm hearing, too, that they're actually uh, giving Drogic another deal. They're going to extend him. He's been there for a while now. Literally, like, I mean, he's working on, like, 10 years there. Something like that. I mean, he's been there a while. I think I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know. But I thought he went there in, like, 06 or something like that. Is that about right? That can't be. No, maybe it was uh, 15 or something. He's already been there five years or something. He's been there a lot longer than that. 14, 15. So there you go. So it's been six years. Now they're going to get, I heard they're going to extend him again. That they're going to keep him. You know why? The dragon's a badass. I told you a million times, this, that white boy can play. He can flat out create shots, funky shots, and make them. He makes buckets, he passes, he hits threes, he hits runners, he hits floaters, he hits step backs, he drives, he can do everything. What can't Drogic do? He's a leader and a winner. That's just all there is to it. And uh, I heard they're going to extend him. So I know everybody's talking about uh, Giannis leaving as a free agent, uh, unrestricted after next season. I mean, that to me is like, uh, you know, never, never land. That's so far away, honestly. Next year, at the end of next year, why talk about it now? He's still got another year. We're going to watch them do this again next year. They're going to go back to the NBA playoffs as a one or a two seed, and they're going to lose again because the rest of the team is garbage, and they let Bledsoe uh, be the star point guard, and he's terrible. That's just all there is to it. I mean, boom. What more do you need to know? And uh, it's it's a 10-point game with 10 minutes left. Williams make it 11. 11-point 11 Clipper lead. Uh, Joe Lisi when we come back to talk college football. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.
All right, Pharrell on the bench. So uh, I just wanted to say uh, one other thing about uh, the Clippers game is that the Nuggets are soft as uh, like Dairy Queen ice cream. And uh, Murray is literally as cold as ice cream. He can't hit the broadside of a barn in this game. And he keeps chucking and missing. Each shot gets worse. So as I said before, if he's off, they can't win because no one else can score. (laughs) <laughs> they have Jokic and Murray, and if they're not scoring, I mean, 19 from Jokic is like pedestrian. It's not even solid. It's not a good game. I'm telling you, in a game like this against the Clippers, you both have to have 24-plus. Boom, that's it. No questions asked. Look at every time they win. At every time they win, they both have like 28, 32 points. It's that simple. When they lose, it's when they have nights like this when they're just pedestrian and they're average. And I mean, Harold's dunking every other shot. And when you just let him have dunks one after the next and layups and and follows on misses and hanging on the rim with his onions in your face, you have no chance to win the game. Boom, game over. So if they win this game, I will keel over because they're getting their ass beat right now and dominated on the boards, on the rim, and their shot selection. Murray couldn't hit any. I, I swear, I think he went in and had a had a yam. I think he went and dropped a yam and came back. And when he was out for six minutes, they scored like 15 straight points, and that was it. I don't know what he's clapping about and cheering about and having fun because I'm not having fun watching them play, I'll tell you that much, because I went with them tonight with that seven and a hook, and they look, I mean, they look terrible. And and I'm telling you, they're going to lose this game, and they're this season – for them is over. They're, they're going to be down 3-1 to the Clippers. They're not winning three in a row. That's over. Game over. I don't care what anybody says. All right, so uh, Joe Lisi uh, is our guy. We were supposed to talk to him today, and uh, we couldn't get him. So now we got him tonight on the bench, and that's all that matters, uh, that we got Joe on to talk college football. How you doing, Joe? What's up, Scotty? Sorry about the this afternoon, but uh, I'm back. I'm ready for college football. I'm chopping at the bit for – for week number two here, but uh, hopefully we'll have some winners. Yeah, obviously we'll get you on uh, coast to coast a million times throughout the season. So I don't even care about that. Uh, bottom line was uh, it wasn't happening. So we just uh, moved on and then we got you on tonight. That's all that matters to me. I could care less about all that. Here's the deal. Uh, I have to start with Derek King. So tomorrow night he's playing for the Canes. As you know, I, I've told you before, I'm a huge Canes fan, but it has been the worst decade of Canes football <laughs> that I can remember my entire life. And I have been a fan for 40 years, and they have never been this bad. I will never live down losing to Louisiana Tech 29 to nothing in a bowl game, whatever it was. And I know that I have friends that are, you know, Florida State fans, and uh, I hate them all dead. And I mean, like, literally dead. And uh, they give me more grief and more just absolutely drown. I'm drowning in it, the, the ridicule and abuse that I've taken. And now I've heard all I can take, Joe, about Manny Diaz being this great coach and incredible recruiter. And he's got all these five star guys coming to Coral Gables. Meanwhile, they suck. And that's just all there is to it. So if they don't beat. If they don't beat UAB by 30 points tomorrow night, I may cut my hand off, honestly. <laughs> well, there's a lot of pressure on Manny Diaz. I mean, they started slow uh, week number one last year against Florida, and this is a team that's right for the picking in UAB. Now, granted, they had uh, a 10-point victory over Central Arkansas last week, but if you look at traditionally UAB when they step up in competition, against some of the bigger Power 5 teams, Tennessee, 
and Florida in particular in recent years, they haven't fared well in the interior, offense and defensive lines, and that's going to be the matchup to see play out for, for Miami. Offensive line is still a concern for the Hurricanes, Scotty. 51 sacks allowed last year. The Eric King will help with that, but I still feel that they cover this matchup because of the speed on the defensive side of the ball. Quincy Roach, former uh, Temple defensive end, comes over. I think they dominate on the defensive line. I think they do cover this number Thursday night. So, Joe, how do you think – I talked to John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, great columnist for years down in Houston, and I was talking to him about Derek, and I was like, you know, you saw him play a lot. What's he going to do in, uh, you know, a Canes uniform as opposed to what he did uh, at Houston? And he thinks that he is just going to be a rock star with Miami. And then I'm with you. Like, they're, they have so many problems up front, and they have been so pathetic. Like, they don't even uh, – like, you know – I got a condo betting on them in the eighties and nineties. I literally, I'm like, I'm not even kidding. So here's the deal. Like they don't play like they used to. And you know it, Joe, like they are candy ass. The only time I've ever seen Miami have a good game in the last 10 years is when they played Notre Dame down there at hard rock and the place was packed and they lit them up by like 30. That's the only good game I can remember that they've played in 10 years and you know it. And so my question yeah. to you is, how do you think the kid's going to do down there with nothing around him? Really? Yeah, I think he'll do and fare pretty well. Now, uh, granted, you look at the offensive concerns for Miami, Scotty, not just the offensive line, but their inability to convert on third downs. 27% third down conversions. They were putting long third downs because they couldn't run the football consistently with DJ Dallas. They only averaged 118 rushing yards per game. Hopefully Burns and Harris can take the pressure off the offensive line, but they need some playmakers to step up. Brevin Jordan, the uh, tight end, needs to step up. They lose Jeff Thomas. But the athleticism of De'Ara King should help and put pressure on that UAB defense. That's what I'm banking on in this matchup. And as you know, Miami, a couple of years ago, the turnover team, we need to see that. They need to feast off the turnovers in 2020. But I do feel that they get it done Thursday night at home. You know what? I got to tell you, the turnover chain was cool for a little while there. But when you don't win and, you you know, you go seven and six or whatever, that, that whole chain thing, in my opinion. Now, I know it's not going to go away, but somebody should have made it go away. Because, you know, when you're acting like you're this, you know, you know, you're acting like you're this badass defense that makes all these plays and and you're just so great. I mean, that's the whole thing. They got the whole sideline dance going on and the turnover chain. It's just a big show. But the reality is, is that they suck and you can't go around bragging about that's when you suck. I mean, honestly, when you can't, when you're playing Louisiana Tech in a bowl game, you suck. That's just, that's all there is to it. You know, they need guys like me around, Joe, and guys like you, frankly, that tell it like it is. I don't sugarcoat when my team that I've loved for 40 years, when they suck, I tell you they suck. And I know that they are terrible. And that's just all there is to it. And, and I can't, I don't even want to talk about them anymore. So talk about Notre Dame. Uh, <laughs> They're playing in South Bend again. You know, I looked at their schedule today, Joe. It is so candy ass. Could they ever? I mean, what doesn't get handed to them on a silver platter, Notre Dame? And I grew up going to games at at, at South Bend, so I lived right outside uh, Chicago in Valparaiso, Indiana. My dad was best friends with Dan Devine. I got tickets. I saw Joe Montana play every game he ever played at Notre Dame live, including the '79 Cotton Bowl, where they came back and won that game against Houston. All I know is. 
is that um, they they got their own television network, which is smart on their on their part. I mean, obviously, it's brilliant. And now they get into the ACC because what they got a lover or something, and then they get this candy <laughs> schedule. Like, what what is next? Is Jesus actually going to come off of that building and come down and bless everyone and and keep them free of the COVID? Well, I'll tell you what. They have a quarterback in Ian Book. I do feel he's a Heisman Trophy dark horse candidate, 34 touchdown passes, loses his top three wide receivers. Offensive line is going to be strong. Now, they're going up against a solid defensive front in Duke. They're very physical, and they're solid in run support. But here's the, the key to Duke covering this number on Saturday afternoon. They get Chase Bryce, the former Clemson quarterback that led them on that monumental drive against Syracuse a couple of years ago uh, to take them to the national championship game. David Cutcliffe in a week one matchup, I mean, he was prepared week one against Alabama. They didn't cover that number, but they covered the first half against Alabama. I think they covered this 20-point spread against Notre Dame. I think it'll be close early, and somehow, some way, Notre Dame might win by 17 points. But I'm looking for Duke to cover this number Saturday afternoon on the road. Wow, look at Joe. Look at Joe, Mafia. You see Joe over here? Like, I mean, he's like cracking eggs over here. He's making omelets. <laughs> I mean, he's got Duke covering against the mighty Irish with Jesus on their side. It's unbelievable. All right, let me ask you. Um, you, you know, uh, I was thinking of, uh, you, you mentioned the Syracuse game. So, uh, Dino, uh, Babers, uh, how do you think, you know, because they're getting no respect at all, like the program's complete trash, because I've never once in my life seen North Carolina favored by 23 in a football game as long as I've been on this earth. Yeah, this was a, you know, this is a hot game now. You look at the consensus overall, a lot of people leaning on Mich- uh, Syracuse, but the line is going up. Opened up at 19 and a half. It's up to 23 in most books. A couple of factors why I like North Carolina. Ten starters on offense, Scotty, led by Sam Howell, 38 touchdown passes, two big play wide receivers, Daz Newsom and Brown, that combined for over 2,000 yards, 22 receiving touchdowns. Here's the flip side. Syracuse is moving to a 3-3-5 defense. That's five nickelbacks. They haven't had a lot of practice time. They have a redshirt freshman, Garrett Williams, starting at corner, two sophomores and a redshirt freshman at the linebacker position. I do not like that recipe going up against a veteran offensive line and quarterback. And here's the flip side. Syracuse's offensive line is battered. They have inconsistency, and their top two running backs are out. I'm laying the wood here. I, I think the, the psychological 21, they're begging you to take Syracuse to me, North Carolina. Oh, wow. All right, so uh, let's see what happens. we got a lot more games to talk about with Joe Lisi. We're going through the college scene uh, for this weekend. Don't go anywhere. It's Pharrell on a bench. So Daniel House, remember they said he uh, was, uh, you know, not going to play in game three or whatever because of personal reasons and he uh, and something like that. And then now they're saying he might miss game four for personal reasons. But now it's turned into he might miss the remainder of the series 
uh, as a potential alleged violation of bubble protocol. He has denied any wrongdoing to the league. He was a late scratch for game three, listed uh, personal issues. Now, game four, he's on the injury report, but it's not an injury. Sources say he hasn't cleared uh, to play, but the uh, PA and the NBA are discussing the issue. Sounds like he did something wrong uh, in the bubble. But nothing is wrong as watching these Nuggets uh, bending over and getting spanked and called Charlie. They're down 86-69. This game's got five left. It's over. Now it's uh, 88-69. They're getting humiliated, and they will not recover from this. They're done. Put a fork in them. Uh, You can't win with two players in the NBA. That's what that means, especially when they're uh, just barely above average to begin with. Jogic is a good player, but he's a fat ass. And secondly, uh, you know, Murray, if he's such a superstar, how can he play like this tonight? I mean, he is just puking all over the place. So uh, we're talking to Joe Lisi, college football, and we're getting off on all these uh, games this weekend. Thank God that there's actual – uh, you know, games that like I thought last week, Joe was terrible. Those games, uh, the, the matchups were so embarrassing. Like I looked at I, I couldn't watch one minute of it. That's how bad it was. But, um, you know, these games are a little bit uh, better in, at the very least. I, I guess one of the questions I had for you is last night I found out in the middle of the show that Baylor and Louisiana Tech had been canceled because of uh, I guess Louisiana got, you know, pelted with like 30 some uh, kids with covid. And I right. guess my question to you is, Joe, they're they're postponing at least several games last week, several games this week. Let's face it, they're they're postponing games because of COVID. Do you believe that this is going to be an absolute regularity that they're going to every single week we're going to lose three or four or five, six games because of the COVID? Because it's running rampant like Hulk Hogan on these campuses. Great point. I, I think there's a possibility, but I feel like because it is the first week of the season, that's why we're seeing these games push back. Now, the Big 12 did come out and say that they need 53 players, and they broke it down according to specific uh, you know, uh, position. I believe it's seven offensive linemen that they need, specific uh, player positions. As long as they have those of the 53, they're good to go. So I think we'll see maybe one or two maybe possibly per week, but I think once the season kicks off and they meet that requirement, uh, I, I think you'll see less and less uh, throughout the season, Scott. So the the lawmakers, you know, politicians all over the Midwest have been clamoring for uh, Kevin Warren to reverse course in the Big Ten and uh, play football. I said today on Coast to Coast, I believe that uh, they are waiting, the Big Ten and Pac-12, waiting to see if the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 start having failure and start having postponements and COVID problems so that it makes them wipe the egg off of their face for not playing football. Because a lot of people think they were smart not to play, but more people, Joe, think they're idiots for not playing uh, because everybody else is playing. So which is it? Do you think they'll ever reverse their decision or are they just waiting to see others fail before and, you know, to try to make themselves feel better and look better? I think they're taking the wait and see approach, which if they do that, Scotty, and that's the way they're going to play it, uh, they could be on the outside looking in. I, I said it before, we could have like, this could lead to an NCAA versus an NIT type of situation for the Power Three and then the Big Ten and Pac-12 respectively because if the other three get through a regular season, we crown a national champion, 
Who's going to want to go to the Big Ten and Pac-12 schools just from a recruiting aspect? They're going to start to lose more and more players as the season progresses, and that's really detrimental to both teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, uh, and others as well, even Oregon and USC. I just don't think they'll recover even from an economic standpoint, but more importantly, the football aspect, uh, if this season plays out and they don't get started, let's say, in October. Do you feel uh, – I know you heard that the Steelers GM uh, said that he'd rather draft a kid uh, that played this year than some kid that uh, opted out or, you know, their conference didn't play, like a Big Ten or a, or a Pac-12. Do you believe – because I, I said he's lying because the bottom line is is that if you're in the draft room and you have a player like Parsons or something on the board and you're up next – and he's opted out of playing at Penn State, you're not going to pass on Parsons because he didn't play football and take some kid that played at Austin P. You cannot sell me that uh, load of shack uh, any more than I'm going to eat it. It's it's just not true. I, I think he's lying. If they're, It's the same as always, Joe. They're going to take the best player in front of them. I don't care if the kid hasn't played in two years. Yeah, yeah, great point. I think, you know, for the top 100, that you're absolutely right. You know, for those top 100 players, I think the problem comes from rounds four through seven in that area. You know, those players that are the fringe type of players, those free agent type of players that we need for special teams and maybe, you know, depth chart type of positions to evaluate that type of talent to see if they are game ready or NFL ready is going to be very difficult going just off of. 2019 film, you want to see progression, you want to see muscle, you want to see weight added, and you want to see technique at certain positions. And without that game film from 2020, you're going off the raw intangibles. That's going to be very difficult for those fringe type of players, Scott. Yeah, no doubt. Joe Lisi with us. Uh, Let me ask you about uh, like that Georgia Tech. I saw tonight they were like they're not going to announce their starting quarterback for their game against Mm -hmm. Florida State. Uh, Who cares who their starting quarterback (laughs) is? They were so awful last year. They have not recovered from Paul Johnson leaving uh, the Yellow Jackets at at Bobby Dodd. The day he left there, it's like the program. It's like they went to Division three. I actually, I don't care if they start Mother Teresa. The bottom line is, it, Florida State should beat them. I don't any way you slice it. If if Georgia Tech is as bad as they were, I don't, how could they improve that much from how bad they were? Like what? I mean, did they? Well, who did they? Who did they recruit? I mean, nobody wants to play football at Georgia Tech anymore, do they? They, I think they do, but you're, you're right. On paper, Florida State should blow them out in this matchup. But the, Georgia Tech is one of my better picks for the weekend. I like them plus the 12 and a half. couple of factors. You look at Jeff Collins from Temple. He coaches up the interior, offensive, defensive lines. Their quarterback is, is Graham. He came on at the end of the year. Jordan Mason's a solid complimentary running back between the tackles. But they added, uh, Scott, 18 pounds of muscle on the offensive and defensive lines. They're a veteran secondary. Five starters come back. Trey Swilling, former, a son of former uh, New Orleans St. Pat Swilling, leads that defense. Quarterback uh, that could play every position. They're going to be in this matchup. I think they're going to force James Black in to make plays and read coverage. They're a disciplined team. And if you followed just the press conferences, I really feel like Jeff Collins has bought into the program. The kids have bought into him. 
He seems prepared in year number two, and that's the biggest progression in a head coach. Year one to year two is the biggest progression, especially in the interior line. I'm buying into the Yellow Jackets. I'm taking the extra point and a half uh, Saturday afternoon against Florida State. Wow. I mean, that's crazy because, you know, I, I respect you a lot, Joe. And I got to tell you, though, I don't care what they say in a press conference. The results <laughs> are on the football field. They absolutely – they made – I mean, they were – an absolute joke atrocity. That's how bad they play. I mean, they were so bad. I mean, did they find God or something? I, I don't like, I don't even know what that means that they, if you listen to them in press conference, how about if I watch them play football, they suck. How's that sound? Uh, so yeah, they, like, I don't, then, even, I don't even know what that means. Uh, let me move on. I want to go to another game. So <laughs> Saturday night in Winston-Salem, that's the game day uh, featured attraction. And if I'm Clemson, honestly, uh, I am going to do them six ways until Sunday. I don't care where the game is. I don't care if ESPN's there. If you're the number one team in the country and you have Trevor Lawrence, I don't care if you play at home road. I don't care if you play on a parking lot full of glass. They have to beat Wake Forest and blow them out. Yeah, you're right. And the numbers suggest that, Scott. 49 and four against ACC opponents since 2014. They've won 11 straight against Wake Forest. The last four against Wake Forest, 36.8 points per game. They won last year 52 to three. Two years ago, 63 to three. And they won all ACC games last year by a total margin of victory of 36.8 points per game. You're getting an extra, actually three and a half points if you take that type of valuation. I expect. Uh, Clemson to cover this number, especially without any fans. I mean, they should dominate this matchup uh, week number one. Uh, if you want to tease them, that's even better as well. Get an extra 10 points uh, in this value. So what about Oklahoma and uh, Missouri State? 42 and a hook. Same kind of thing here with uh, Mr. Uh, 007 secrets. Not going to ever talk about his, uh, you know, who's sick on the team with COVID. They're not releasing. He's worried about competitive disadvantages. I think Lincoln Riley starting to sound like a paranoid, uh, like crack smoker. I don't even know what, like, we're not talking anymore. Like, what are they, secret service over here? The CIA? Does anyone really care what he's doing secretively in Norman? They might care once Big 12 play kicks off. Against Missouri State Week 1, Spencer Rattler without any type of, uh, in terms of game preparation, I expect there to be a a couple of kinks, especially without Trey Sermon, without Kennedy Brooks. The running game needs to get going. There's new players on defense for Alex Grinch. I would take the 42 with, uh, with Missouri State. Don't like the game, but too many moving parts to take a 42-point number in week number one without any spring ball. Yeah, I think Oklahoma will put 70 on them, and then they'll end up sleeping <laughs> with their cheerleading staff after the game uh, just for fun to see if they get COVID. Austin P. and Pitt, uh, it was 27 and a hook, and I thought to myself, uh, the first thing I said, Joe, was can Pitt even score 28 points? Good point. They're going to need Cody Pickett to step up. Running game is going to be uh, needs to be better. They they average less than two yards than they did in 2018. Davis is a solid running back. They lose Jalen Swyman. They lose a cornerback in this matchup. Front seven should still be good. 
but they're a team that plays to the competition. I mean, they, they go down when they're a double-digit favorite. They just eke out a win. And when they play a team like Penn State as a double-digit underdog, they seem to cover. I would lay the wood here with Pitt, but it's not one of my better selections for this coming Saturday. Uh, Texas, any problem with UTEP? I, I got about a minute and a half here. I want to rip through these four games. Uh, Texas, UTEP, no problem there for the Longhorns? It shouldn't be. I don't like the game, but I would lay the wood with Texas in that matchup. Uh, Louisville, Western Kentucky, 11 and a half with the cards. Yeah, cards have the second best offense, in my opinion, uh, led by Malik Cunningham against Clemson. I do feel that they cover that number against Western Kentucky. Texas Tech, I think they're going to baptize Houston Baptist in this game at 39. (laughs) (laughs) Alan Bowman and the crew, I think this is one of the teams you keep an eye out on in the Big 12. I do feel they cover that uh, 39.5 point number fairly easy uh, Saturday night. And then uh, Carver High said if if, uh, Les Miles and Kansas doesn't cover the 6.5 against Coastal Carolina, he's going to hang himself is what he said to me. (laughs) <laughs> well, they lost to Coastal Carolina last year, guys, 12-7. to 7. I would take the points in that matchup. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to have to tell Garver High that. Hey, Joe, I love you. It's always great having you on. Uh, we'll try to do it weekly uh, during the college football season. How's that sound? I got to run. Uh, we'll be in touch. I love you, Joe. Be cool. All right, I want to get uh, Marenzi on Sports Rage coming up on uh, Sports Grid Radio. And uh, what did you think of that? Uh, that Obviously, I'm sure you're happy with Toronto. I- I'm not happy with the way that game was called from basically uh, the fourth quarter, frankly, the-, the second half through the double overtime. I just thought the calls were-, were just a joke. I mean, and I don't care about either team, but I thought it was a joke. You know, the problem with the calls – there's an inconsistency. That, you know, that part I get. I don't have a problem with the Kemba Walker. If you actually watch it in slow motion, and I've watched it a bunch of times, you can't decide a game like that. You know, Kemba was looking, you know, to go to the free throw line with no time on the clock. We saw that happen earlier in the playoffs with Jimmy Butler, and it sucked. It was a, it was a crappy way uh, to end the game. So I give them credit uh, for that. But there's an inconsistency factor, and I can't deny it. I mean, the fact is, I, I see the Celtics are now 3-18 and 18 with Tony Brothers <laughs> as, as the referee. We knew going in, um, you know what, Arturo uh, from SportsGrid, smart, uh, sharp guy, uh, he pointed out, you know what, this is an advantage for the Raptors because he lets everything go. So the players sort of knew going in, Scotty, that they were going to let everything go. Uh, that six-point Van Fleet uh, call was, I think, the worst call I've seen in my life. Well, you know, the the Raptors, the Raptors get pinched constantly, uh, Scotty, and we, you know, we don't have enough time to get into it. Yeah, well, they didn't the tonight. Not good. <laughs> yeah, well, they got they got the call late, but big deal. So there's one call. It's going one call. Games. There were ten calls. There were ten calls. There wasn't one call. There was ten calls. You know well, it. And they were and, all and, what? And every call, every uh, call that, was that. against Boston. Every bad call. Come on. I thought I thought all the bad calls were against Boston. I really did. I, I thought it was a terribly called game. I think the refs suck. Uh, Sports Rage is up next. I'll see you tomorrow on Coast to Coast. Good night, everybody. 
Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.